0: Hi all, welcome to Strategic Time Out, a new podcast on all things cricket. I'm Srinath Bhashyam and I'm joined by Gaurav Sundaraman. Just to give a background, the both of us have worked in cricket in various analytical and strategic roles for the last five odd years. And we are hoping that we are able to draw from that experience to come up with insights and dig deep into stories from the game that we so dearly love. Both of us are also big trivia enthusiasts, so we are hoping to enliven our podcast with trivia nuggets. The disclaimer, of course, is that These are obviously our personal thoughts and do not reflect the opinions of our employers. So here goes. Hi Gaurav.
1: Hi Srinath. That was a good uh, introduction and a great way to start uh, this new podcast. Let's uh, I think start this uh, first episode with uh, a discussion of our favorite uh, tournament which is the Ashes, uh, the most hyped up series uh, for all fans. Um, what, what's your general take on uh, the Ashes' squad, uh, squads and uh, what do you think uh, is likely to
0: happen? At the outset, Gaurav, I would say that Australia are favourites owing to a slightly stronger bowling attack for the Australian conditions. I mean, in conditions where the ball doesn't seem to move around a lot, I think extra pace makes a lot of difference. And in Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood, I think they have a set of three very skillful quicks. And not only that... I also think that they've matured as fast bowlers. Although they're pretty young in age, they played enough cricket all around the world. And the three of them are also from New South Wales, know each other very well. They've grown up playing cricket together and are good mates of the field. So, rest assured, they'll hunt as a pack. So, I'd say that Australia start this series as favourites, especially because they're also playing in Australia. What say, Gaurav?
1: Yeah, I think one point which I really believe that Australia are very strong in is especially their bowling attack. They have three very, very good quicks which not many teams have. Uh, only Stain, Markel and Philander comes to my mind and or Stain, Rapada and Philander. Uh, the fact that if you have three bowlers uh, on a day of 90 overs, you constantly have uh, one bowler attacking from uh, one end throughout the day. So, England can't slack any, any bit in the game and they need to constantly be uh, wary of the bowlers who so stalk and come in. I would uh, expect them to be attacking and Hazelwood bowls his uh, line and length and it's funny that how uh, because of Stark and Cummins, sometimes Hazelwood will end up getting uh, most of the wickets Um, all three of them are coming from uh, an injury and uh, uh, Cummins is the only one who's been playing for quite some time regularly uh, which is uh, unusual considering the fact that everybody thought that he would be the one to break down Uh, while Stark and Hazelwood are coming uh, back after a long layoff in uh, international cricket they've just played their Sheffield Shield rounds and They've done very well. So, it's going to be exciting to see how these three operate together. Uh, my only concern though, Srinath, with this uh, lineup, is that, yes, if there is a niggle uh, early on in the Ashes, early on in the first innings or the uh, second innings of the Test, you never know how uh, uh, australian can cope up with that loss because they don't have a real big backup bowler all around the slot. They have just three fast bowlers with Nathan Lyon doing the support role and Lyon's role becomes so much more uh, important then. Uh, that's something which I'm slightly wary of. Uh, uh, what's your take on the fact that uh, they didn't uh, pick an all-rounder? With so much of hype around uh, selection, uh, What is uh, I would be uh,
0: curious to hear what uh, you feel. Uh, absolutely, Gaurav. I've, I've been reading a lot of criticism about the Australian selectors and people don't seem to be convinced with the choices that they've made. On first look, it might seem like they've gone completely left field, but I actually feel that there has been quite a lot of thought put into the selections. I think there is pretty strong cricketing logic to justify the decisions that they've taken. And they've also taken a few tough calls to ensure that they have the best possible side going out on the field come Gabba test. They've gone against the grain a little bit in this sense. In terms of, you know, they usually seem to pick youngsters and back them over the long run. Even if they're struggling to score runs or pick wickets. In this case, I think it's evident that they don't want to take any chances They've dropped Matt Renshaw, whose last innings in Australia was a 184 against Pakistan. But he hasn't been in great form in the Shield games. So the selectors have plumbed for the inform player, which is Cameron Bancroft, who's most recently scored a double hundred for Western Australia. So I think the Australian selectors have taken a few tough calls and made sure that they have the best 11 available players in Australia taking the field in Gabba. What do you think about it, Gaurav?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that Australia have taken a very revolutionary approach uh, in terms of, uh, I would call it horses for courses, which people usually associate with the T20 format. Uh, if you remember that Usman Kwaja didn't uh, make the trip to, uh, he didn't play many tests in Asia. Uh, so, it's, it's very different and I... It's a bold call and I expect uh, a lot of other teams to actually slowly start following uh, this kind of selection. It's interesting that Australia have taken the lead uh, with respect to this of selecting people for the moment, selecting people who are in form. They're just taking it uh, game by game and uh, it shows how desperate they want to win the Ashes. But again, uh, at the the end of the day, whether the selectors uh, get rewarded for this is only purely based on uh, the results of the match. If Australia win, these should be considered as great calls. If Australia lose their Uh, They would all go back to saying, oh, why not Renshaw and why Sean Marsh? Uh, I wanted to actually ask you and pick your brain a little bit on Sean Marsh. Considering the fact that he's old, he's 34 and the selectors actually kind of uh, echoed some sentiments about not picking old players
0: and uh, looking at youngsters after the Hobart debacle last year. What's your take? True, Gaurav, Sean Marsh's comeback seems to have raised many eyebrows. But again, if you look at the incumbents, which is Hilton Cartwright and Glenn Maxwell, They haven't really set the scene on fire. Maxwell has not scored the tons that were expected from him in Shield cricket. He scored a couple of 50s but has not really got that big score. Cartwright is definitely a promising talent but again, I think they don't want to take a chance with a relative rookie for what could be a crucial number 6 position. And Sean Marsh has been in pretty good domestic form. form, Both in the limited overs games and Shield cricket. If you have noticed his career... Typically, he's had issues with the moving ball, if at all. So, I think him moving down the order will entail that he might not have to play the new ball as much. And at the same time, I also think he has experience to play the second new ball as he has opened in the past. Another thing we need to bear in mind, Gaurav, is that the number 6 batsman needs to be very versatile and should have the ability to raise the tempo if required when batting with the tail. And I think Sean Marsh has those abilities. If you remember uh, in a previous Ashes series, we saw Brad Hyden score a lot of quick runs with the tail, and actually, he rescued Australia time and again in that series. So, I think Sean Marsh would be a really good fit for that number six position. And also, I think that he's had a few good tests in the recent past. I mean, the rear guard against India in Ranchi comes to mind, where him and Hanscom pretty much saved the match for Australia. And before that, in Australia, when he played against South Africa, he scored a 50 as an opener and then unfortunately got injured. So, I don't think he's really done all that badly in international test cricket over the last year and a half. So, I think it is a very reasonable move by the selectors to bring back Sean Marsh. What say, Goro?
1: Fair enough. And coming to the most controversial selection in mean, Tim Payne. Uh, before uh, I even get your opinion on that, I was just uh, wanted to share one uh, interesting uh, nugget. A uh, couple of things. You know that Darren Lehman actually has scored a century, uh, uh, a more recent century than Tim Payne. Tim Payne scored, I think, in 2006 and Lehman scored one in 2007. So that's how long uh, it's been since Tim Payne has scored a century. And the other fact is that in 2010, when he played his last uh, test... Uh, against India at Bangalore, his teammates, I think, or ten of them, the other remaining ten, at least nine of them, have retired from uh, first-class cricket. The only, and even the the other guy, Peter George, who played that Test, uh, is not in the uh, playing the Sheffield Shield. So it's really funny how uh, one member from that squad is now uh, back to the Australian setup after seven years. And uh, the other piece of uh, trivia is that Steven Smith made his debut alongside Tim Payne. So maybe there is some personal connect there. But uh, over to you. What what do you think of Tim Payne?
0: <laughs> so that's that's really interesting uh, Gaurav. I'm presuming that the selection would have been a tight call between uh, Peter Neville and Tim Payne. In the test matches that Neville has played so far, he's definitely impressed uh, me both with his keeping and his ability with the bat and seems to have a compact technique and I really thought he was unfortunate to lose his spot to Wade last summer. So, why have the selectors picked Payne? I have read criticisms that Payne has not kept regularly in long-form cricket. But you have to bear in mind that he is currently playing along with Matthew Wade and Wade has taken the gloves for Tasmania. Tim Payne is a proper keeper. I mean, he keeps for Australia and T20 Internationals and and for Hobart Hurricanes and has also kept for Tasmania for a few games last season. Personally, I don't think there are any major issues with his keeping abilities. Also, Tim Payne captained the C11 warm-up game against England and I think that game was an audition of sorts for him and he has presumably come through well and shown long-form fitness. He also scored a half century against Anderson and co in that game who were bowling with the pink ball and he has followed that up with a half century against Victoria in the Shield game. So I think his batting is in a good space. So what I really think has edged Payne over Neville is his batting. I think Payne has more gears to his batting than Neville. you would agree with me if I say that if there is one criticism to Neville's uh, batting, it has been his Neability. ability to score quick runs when batting with the tail. I also happened to watch his half-sensory against Victoria and I'm talking about Tim Payne and he was looking pretty good there. I think there is a little bit of class to Tim Payne as a batsman and the selectors seem to have punted on that. Clearly, because he's not had eye-catching shield seasons like you rightly said. But you have to give the selectors their due because if everyone was to go purely by numbers, I think, you know, a computer can actually do the selections uh, instead of actually people there. So, I think the Aussie selectors have exercised fair judgment. And the most important point is there has not been a standout candidate amongst the wicket-keeping options. And uh, selectors have had to pick from the choices they've had, Gaurav.
1: Yeah, it is very sad to see that uh, Australia have not had uh, a flurry of keepers coming through in the domestic uh, circuit and they have to take such bold calls and I think only time will tell. Uh, on the other side, uh, uh, also there has been a lot of controversies in their selection, uh, in team selection with respect to England and uh, may, by controversy I mainly mean the absence of Ben Stokes. However, as we speak, uh, we are hearing some rumours that uh, uh, he, for all you know, he might take that flight to uh, to Brisbane uh, next week, but um, uh, let's assume that he's not going to play. Um, uh, I think they have a well, uh, good balanced squad and they have some inexperienced uh, men at the top of the order. Uh, That's going to be, I think, going to play a key role on how they shape up. I think performance of Stoneman, Malan and Vince would kind of shape uh, how this uh, series is going to head. Uh, Your thoughts?
0: Absolutely true, Gaurav. Uh, I think you've touched on the right points. And if you watch the warm-up games that they've been playing, I think England have shown their cards for the first team that they'll be fielding. I think their team will have Cook, Stoneman opening the batting, wins at one drop, and then Root and Milan and Bairstow. Ali will be the spinning all-rounder, Chris Wokes will be the fast-bowling all-rounder, and their pace attack, Overton, Broad and Anderson. I mean, there are talks that, you know, Jake Ball, who had an injury scare in one of the warm-up games, might actually be fit for uh, Brisbane. So, we'll have to see there. Then there would be a toss-up between um, Overton and uh, Jake Ball. So, I don't think there are many surprises there. England will obviously miss Stokes. I mean, if if in case he's not going to be available and I'm assuming that he won't be playing the first test. I mean, Stokes is clearly the best all-round in the world and there is no replacement for some, someone like that. And I think coming to their batting, uh, Gaurav, England will be heartened by the fact that Stoneman and Milan have scored some runs in the warm-up games. I think the likes of uh, Milan and Vince seem to be good with the horizontal bat shots, uh, as I have noticed when they've played in England, and might just make runs in Australia. They might be inexperienced, but they might look at this as a great opportunity to put their name forward. And I think they have more of an issue with the moving ball, so they might just score runs, Gaurav.
1: Yeah, I remember Rahul David telling in an interview a few years back about if you want to succeed in Australia, you need to play those horizontal bat shots well, the cut, the pull. Uh, if you And if Malan and uh, Stoneman uh, do those uh, things perfectly, I think uh, they have no reason to fail. So that's going to be exciting. And the other person I feel is slightly more important is uh, Chris Wokes. And Wokes can change the game uh, both by his batting and his bowling skills. People might focus too much on uh, Anderson and Broad, but you have Wokes who's actually been in good form. I think he took a uh, five-wicket haul in the warm-up. You never know. He might just be the uh, unsung hero for uh, England uh, both with the bat and ball. And the other fact, if our uh, uh, listeners don't know, is that uh, among the all-rounders with respect to last, if you look at the last 18 months, Wokes, Stokes and Moeen are in the top uh, six or seven all-rounders in the world, having scored more than 500 runs and taken more than 40 wickets. So, uh, by no means, Wokes is a a pushover. I think he's going to be great uh, I think this is going to be his uh, uh, season ac- according to me
0: True Gaurav and, and talking about England's uh, bowling attack I, I think there is one more man who would be the real key for uh, England and I think that is Stuart Broad I think Stuart Broad has all the assets to succeed in Australia is a tall fast bowler extracts a lot of bounds and is able to bowl that probing length all the time and is also able to extract any lateral moment if there's something in the pitch. My only worry for Broad Gaurav is that we've not really seen him operate at top pace in the last year, year and a half. Uh, when he burst onto the scene, I think he was bowling 90 miles per hour regularly. Off late, I think we see him operating between 80 and 85 miles per hour. So, for England's sake, I would hope that Stuart Broad is back at full fitness. He's re-energized and he's able to bowl consistently in the high 80s because I think that is very important in in the bouncy wickets in Australia. Extra pace, like I said, would make a difference. And if Broad is able to bowl at high intensity, I think he'd definitely be a handful for the Australian batsmen.
1: Interesting, you say that. I remember Broad starting off the 2013-14 Ashes pretty well in Brisbane. It would be interesting to see how he uh, starts this year as well. Could you also tell some uh, uh, some stuff about uh, Overton? Uh, not many of our, uh, listeners may know about him.
0: Yes, Gaurav. Uh, I think uh, the first thing, the first interesting fact about uh, Craig Overton is I don't think a lot of people will know this. He has a twin brother who also plays cricket. Both of them play cricket for Somerset together. And uh, the two of them actually made uh, their under-19 World Cup uh, debut in the 2012 World Cup. I think the 2012 World Cup, a lot of uh, Indian viewers will remember that for uh, the fabulous victory under uh, Chand, which is played in Townsville. And uh, the other thing is, in that squad of England, the guy who kept wickets was Ben Fox who is there in the Ashes squad as a backup wicketkeeper to Johnny Berstow. And one more thing, Garov, uh, Do you know which player from the current Ashes squad for Australia also featured in the same 2012 Under-19 World Cup? Uh, not really. Is it Peter Hanscombe? Ha, no. It isn't Peter Hanscombe, Garov. It is the debutant or the presumable double tant in GABA, Cameron Bancroft. So, Bancroft also played that, that same under-19 World Cup. So, I think they will be renewing the rivalries on the big stage here. So, should be interesting. There's a mini rivalry within the big rivalry there. And uh, Gaurav, so, talking specifically about uh, the first test in um, in Brisbane, I'm sure you have a few thoughts about how that might set the tone for the rest of series. So, what do you think about the first uh, test? And, uh, and usually, we see the first test of the series, of any test series, sets the tone for the uh, for the remaining matches so do you have any specific thoughts on the first test yeah,
1: when it comes to Brisbane, it's always Australia. At least it's been the case over the last 20-odd years. Uh, Brisbane has been a venue in which Australia have dominated. They have won uh, and annihilated teams over there. They've started the series well and they usually end up winning the series if they uh, start in Brisbane well. Uh, on the uh, on the other side, it's very important that England uh, somehow start well and somehow even escape with a draw at Brisbane because when Australia have drawn the game uh, at Brisbane, they haven't really uh, won the series uh, so that's something which England can take uh, uh, some motivation off and they can look to uh, start well at Brisbane and that generally sets the tone for the series so the first test is going to be super crucial and uh, I hope that uh, it's a very closely fought game uh, with England and Australia fighting and taking the game to the fifth day because one one more interesting thing is that Australia and England have been involved in a lot of result oriented matches over the last couple of years there they haven't been too many draws even in the ashes as such they haven't Been too many draws, so uh, and in fact, been a lot of three or four day finishes. So, that's going to be another um, thing which ICC will also be closely watching. If uh, most of the tests in uh, against Australia and England end in four days, Uh, there's more case for the four day test, which is a discussion for another day. But yeah, so it's going to be interesting, and uh, uh, we're in for a great
0: treat. True, Gaurav. And specifically about the Brisbane test, um, just one point here that I think if England managed to do reasonably well in Brisbane, I think even managed to hold on to a draw, I think they will fancy their chances in Adelaide because it's a pink ball test. We've seen in the past that the pink ball tends to move around a lot more, especially under lights. And these conditions will, will suit the likes of Anderson and Vokes and will enhance their effectivity. So I think the Brisbane test is definitely important. Obviously, it's the first test of the series, but more so because the second test is going to be played in Adelaide. England's bowling attacks, effectivity will definitely be enhanced, I feel, under lights with the pink ball. And if they start off well there, they can seriously entertain thoughts of doing well in the series. In spite of uh, being slight underdogs, Gaurav. So, I think it should be a fascinating series, this. I mean, to to reiterate, I think Australia definitely start favourites. A lot will depend on the first test as Brisbane, if England were to entertain thoughts of, you know, retaining the Ashes. But we cannot count out this England side because I think there's a lot of fight to this team. And even though they have a couple of youngsters, I think they would put their best foot forward. And they have a few personnel who can actually stand up on the day and make it count What's say Goro?
1: yeah I think it's a very it's going to be tight and I think the team which bats better would uh, actually win Australia still I'm skeptical about their batting uh, but if they manage to score well in Australia which they usually do uh, I think they start off as 60-40 favourites according to me
0: Gaurav. So, I, I cannot wait for the first test to start uh, this Thursday. I, I'm sure all of us have great memories of uh, waking up early in the morning here in India and watching the Ashes test. And uh, it's a treat treat to watch, especially, you know, listening to the channel Nine commentary as well. So, I, I cannot wait for the first test to start, Gaurav.
1: Awesome. So, uh, let's get back uh, again during the test sometime and we will uh, hope to discuss more uh, during that time. So, uh, uh, great and thanks uh, Shrinar for this.
0: Thank you to Gaurav. Catch you around.